Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus in chapter number 2. The Old Testament book of Exodus in chapter number 2. We're right in the beginning of our brand new series of the life and ministry of Moses. And as we walk through and see this extraordinary life, we want to walk through and see what God has done with the man named Moses and how God used him to be an encouragement to the people, God's people, Israel. So if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus in chapter number two. And if you don't mind, let's look together starting in Exodus chapter two and in verse one, Exodus chapter two and verse one, the word of God says this. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took him for an ark of bulrushes. And dabbed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off and to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the the babe wept. And she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in Exodus chapter number 2? Exodus chapter number 2, and notice with me if you don't mind, in verse number 2, where it says, She saw him that he was a goodly child. She saw him that he was a goodly child child. Now we understand from other parts of the scripture, we learn the name of Moses, that her name was uh, the mother of Moses, that it was Jochebed. And so with this, if you don't mind, I'd like to preach a message about Jochebed titled, The Faith of Jochebed. The Faith of 
Jochebed. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. A God who's worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be served. I'm so thankful we could come to you and that we could open up your word and that you can speak to us. I'm thankful that your word is powerful and that it could go forth and i'm asking that it would help and increase the faith of all of our folks here who hear this word and that it would be a great help to them again i don't dare trust my own i don't have any ability i don't have in within me the way to make it hit people and to be a help to people that's the job of your holy spirit so the best i know how i surrender myself to you now and ask that you fill me with your precious spirit and that you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word i'm thankful that we can trust you and in jesus name we pray amen well, if you wouldn't mind, as we examine the faith of Jochebed, there are a couple things that I want to point out to you concerning the faith of Jochebed. The first thing I want to show you is a faith of a mother. The faith of a mother. Now, we have already covered in Exodus chapter number 1 the idea of the circumstances that the Hebrew people found themselves in. As you remember, that the Hebrew people had come up from uh, to Egypt because of Joseph and his family that those 70 people have now multiplied to about a million plus people during this time and they still had some uh, at least 80 years before they went through the exodus and as Pharaoh had saw that the Hebrew people were multiplying that he put out a decree that every male child who was born of the Hebrew people were sentenced to death. And so during this time, it was a very frightening thing to come up expectant. You can imagine Jochebed and her husband Amran coming together. And Jochebed said, Amran, I've got some news for you. What news do you have? I'm expecting with another child. Now at this time. They've already had the sister Miriam. They had Aaron who was born. Before the decree to kill the Hebrew children. But now. The frightening news came up. That Jochebed is expecting. And with this. There was a certain fear and tribulation. In fact many of the Hebrew people at this time. Would try to avoid. Uh. Becoming expecting during this time because of the consequences that would happen that if you had a male child that it was under the decree the orders of the government that you had to kill that child and of course they didn't have sonograms they didn't have any way to tell what type of child this would be a female or a male and so they just had to wait to see to have the proof that would come out. And if it was born a male child, the mother under the order was required to have that son killed. Or someone would kill the child for her. And so the time of life came to pass. Notice with me if you wouldn't mind in verse number 1. And there went a man from the house of Levi, we know his name to be Amran, and took to wife a daughter of Levi, we know her name to be Jochebed. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him 
three months. That phrase, a goodly child, carries this idea that when this baby was born, she can tell that God had a special purpose for this child. And may I remind you that God has on purpose designed children. That the book of Jeremiah talks about that before Jeremiah was born, God knew him. And before Jeremiah was born, God had already had a plan for his life. That every child is not an accident, but designed by God, created by God for a purpose. And so this child is born. And they look and sure enough it's a male child. Now under the decree this child is to be put to death. But she looks at this child and realizes that God has something special for this child. That God has created this child with a purpose. There is a reason why this child was born. And God wants to use this child as an instrument. Now she may not have known what it was. But she did know that God had a purpose for this child. He wasn't an accident. It wasn't just a random collection of cells. But it was something that God put together for a purpose. And so she looked at this child. And the child is bored. And just like babies do, they would cry. But she says, I've got to do something. And so verse number 2, the end of it says, She hid him Three months. And so the child was born. And so she would do what she could to hide the child. Maybe she would still wear uh, baggy clothes and say, nope, I'm still waiting to have the child. Maybe she would stay out of the public eye the best she could and say, I'm on bed rest. And do her best to keep that child quiet. But could you imagine taking an infant who cries and that's what children do. And that whines and is up all hours of the night. And for three months. She has tried to hide this child. But soon it was going to be evident. She could not hide from everyone. That a male child was born. Imagine how frazzled she would be. Imagine a child already takes up a lot of work. And not having a regular schedule. But on top of that. Trying to hide the child. Imagine how much pressure that would be on. Finally, she came to the place where she realized, I can't do this anymore. I can't continue to hide him. I, it's beyond my ability to do anything with this child. I've got to do something. Notice with me in verse number three. And when she could not longer hide him. She took for him an ark of bulrushes. So when she came to the place where she realized she could no longer hide the child. She came to the place where I can't do this myself. She came to the place where she says it's beyond my ability. She went back to the history of the Hebrew people. Now remember at this time there is no recorded scripture. We probably have the book of Job but... The book of Genesis doesn't exist. What we do have is the oral accounts that was passed on. And one of those oral accounts is that when God wanted to save his people, that God ordered a man by the name of Noah to build an ark. And so she looks at her son and says, My son needs to be saved from the penalty of death. My son is under the law required to die. But how God saved a group of people who were 
ordered to die in a world that was ready to perish. How did he save those people? He put them in an ark. So she said, the best I could do with what Bible I have is I'm going to follow the example. And in order to have salvation for my son, I'm going to put him in an ark and expect God to take care of him. Notice with me again in verse 3. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and dabbed it with slime and with pitch. Now the slime was to put it together. Pitch was to waterproof it. And put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. Now, this is the Nile River, which is like a mighty river. It's not a small stream. If you can imagine the mighty Mississippi, and being able to have this big, huge, major river. And she took this ark that she put it together. It's stuck together with slime. It's put within and without of pitch, so that way the water can't get in, so it would float. And she does the hardest thing she'll ever do in her life. She commended the child towards God. The word commend is a very interesting word. It carries the idea to take your hands off. And so what she did is she realized, I cannot take care of this child anymore. This child is worthy of death. This child is a child that God had created for a purpose. And I can't do anything, so the best I could do is take this child, give him to the Lord, take my hands off, and step back. Now, this doesn't mean that she did it as a cold-hearted thing where she just left the baby at the uh, steps of a church and just took off and ran. But she said, I'm going to give this to the Lord. I'm going to expect him to do a better job of taking care of this child than I can. I'm going to take my hands off and say, Lord, it is your responsibility to take care of the child. Now, remember, when we do that, what we are telling God is that you tell me what to do. It's not the idea that I get rid of all my responsibilities, but I take my hands off. You're in charge of this child and you tell me what to do. Now, this is important to note because sometimes we'll have something like a baby dedication day. And what we'll do is we'll have some couple who has a brand new baby and they want to dedicate him to the Lord. In reality, we can't do anything with a child. The child has to make decisions for himself. But what we're doing in that baby dedication day is that we're saying we're going to allow God to raise the child and the parents are surrendering themselves to what God would have them to do in raising the child for the Lord. But here, this lady, the best she knows how, she's given to the Lord. And probably with much weeping. Can you imagine? She sets the ark uh, bed down. She takes the baby and she cries and she holds him and she weeps. But she finally says, I have to let you go. I have to let God take care of you. I can't do it myself. And she sets the baby down. She puts the ark inside of this mighty river. Puts it in with the bulrushes with the hopes that it won't sail down river and eventually into the Mediterranean Sea. But she puts it in this place where it's not going to sink and hopefully not going to float off and leaves it there. And the hardest thing she had to do was take her hands off and walk away and say, God, you take care of my child. May I remind you that anything that you put in God's hands God could do a better job with it than you ever could. 
she took this child and gave it to the Lord. We have here, first of all, the faith of a mother. But that's not all as we continue on. Not only do we see the faith of a mother, we also see the responsibility of a mother. The responsibility of a mother. Notice with me, if you wouldn't mind, in verse number 4. Notice as it continues to go on. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to her. Now, Jochebed walked away. She goes, I have to take my hands off of, Lord, you got to take care of this child. I'm not trying to drown him. I'm not trying to get rid of him. You have to take care of him. But Moses' older sister, Miriam, stuck around. Maybe by the orders of mom just to see what would happen. How, what would happen to the child. And so Miriam's watching, maybe in the woods, maybe in the bulrushes herself. She's watching to see what would happen. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Now, Jochebed, by faith, does the best she knows how with what Bible she has. And she puts her son in an ark in order for him to be saved. Commends him to God, say, God, you take care of it. And it just so happens, by coincidence, no, by God's design, That Pharaoh's daughter came. The one who can override the sentence that was given by the government. She says, there's something in that ark over there. Someone fetch it. They brought it to her. Pharaoh's daughter opens it up. And it was at that moment that that baby cried. Pharaoh's daughter had compassion. Looked on him. Broke her heart. She goes, this is one of the Hebrew people. This is one of the Hebrews' children. And she goes, I'm going to keep them. Isn't it just like a great God? That God said, here, I'll take care of him. I'll make sure that he won't be threatened anymore. I'm going to allow Pharaoh's daughter to adopt him. But the story's not over yet. Notice with me in verse number 7. And then his sister to Pharaoh's said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? So Miriam comes and says, Miss Pharaoh's daughter, what if I got you from the Hebrew women a lady who is able to nurse to feed this child? So that way you don't have to worry about that. Pharaoh's daughter said in verse number 8, And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Imagine that conversation. Jochebed's probably crying. Her eyes are swollen and red. And Miriam comes and says, Mama, Mama, Mama. And Jochebed say, Not now, Miriam. I've got to be myself. I've got to get some time. No, Mama, you don't understand. God's taking care of the baby. What happened to him? Is he perished? Did a crocodile eat him? What happened? No, mama. Pharaoh's daughter found him. And she wants to meet you. Come, mama. Come, mama. Come. So Jochebed dries her tears and tries to get her eyes as less puffy as she could. And takes off Miriam, dragging her by the hand. And when she gets there, verse number 8. 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Jochebed, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. What we see here is because she gave this child to the Lord, the Lord gave the child back to Jochebed and she raised it. Now what we see here is the responsibility that Jochebed was not supposed to raise the child for her. She was supposed to raise the child for someone else. And this is the responsibility of any parent. That we have to realize that those children that God has placed into our stewardship that we are to raise them not for ourselves, but we're supposed to raise them for another. We're supposed to raise them for the Lord. And we have that responsibility. In fact, one day we're going to stand before God and give an account of how well we raised our children to follow after the Lord. That is the huge responsibility that every parent has, is that we have to raise the children for someone else. When you realize they're not your children, but they're God's children on loan, it changes how we see the child. It changes how we see our responsibility. We are supposed to raise these children for God on His behalf, and we're going to stand before God and give an account for this. Now, this is important. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 10. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called him Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. But what happened is that the child grew until he was weaned, when he got to the place where he stopped feeding off of mother. Now, at this time, a child was weaned until they were about five to seven years old. And so during this time, Jochebed had the responsibility of raising little baby Moses on behalf of Pharaoh's daughter. On behalf of the Lord she gave him to in the first place. She is supposed to raise him for the Lord. Now during those five to seven years is what we often call the golden age of learning. That children at that time learn more during that time than any other period within their life. Think about it. Everything they have to do to survive in life, every skill is learned during that time. For example, before a child says his first word, the child already understands over 2,000 words. They started with a vocabulary of zero, and they had to learn those words. During this golden age of learning, that they begin to develop their personality, their likes and dislikes. By age three, that some of these things are starting to be developed. They tell us by age five, the personalities of a child is set. This is why it's so important during this time to start investing in them, to read them the great stories of the Bible, to be reading to them scriptures, to be singing good Christian songs, to be telling them and help them memorize scripture. That even before a child can read, they can learn to memorize scripture. This helps develop their personality. In fact, the old Jesuits used to say that you give us a child till the age of seven, you could have them back no matter what happens to them, they will always be ours those golden age of learning is the time to invest 
in our children and teach them to talk to the Lord, to teach them that God is real, to show them by faith these great songs. Here, Jochebed had the responsibility of raising Moses. She only had a limited time to do so. And in that time, she squeezed as much as she could in. So that way, when he even went to the palaces, when he went to go serve as the daughter of Pharaoh, that she, that Moses would always choose to follow the Lord. You know, the Bible gives this principle for us in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 22. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Proverbs, in chapter number 22, we see a very important principle. Proverbs chapter 22, and in verse 26, the Bible says this. Uh, sorry, verse number 6. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, the Bible says this. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So the Bible gives a principle here. Train up a child in the way that he ought to go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, unfortunately, many people misunderstand this verse. Some people have the idea that, well, if I take them to church every once in a while, and maybe if I let them participate in Sunday school, or let them sing a Christian song, or maybe make them uh, have them memorize a verse, that what will happen is that when they become a teenager, they'll hate me and they'll hate God, they'll rebel against the world, that when they turn to 20, they'll never come to church and they'll uh, sow their wild oats and they'll make mistakes of their life. Finally, age 30, they get to the place where they're trying to get things on track and maybe by age 40, they'll remember that one day they went to church and they'll come back. That is not what this verse says. The Bible says, train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is old. Now, you could put whatever number you want into it. Train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is eight years old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he should go and when he is 16 years old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is 21, when he is 30, when he is 40, when he is 50, he will not depart from it. Now, in order to understand the principle of this verse, it's not the idea of forcing and working on the outward, but notice the very first phrase of this, train up a child in the way he should go. Now, the uh, text that this came from uh, uses a colloquial term, which carries the idea that when a baby was born back in those days, because they didn't have formula or Similac, they had to feed off mother. And so they had to get the baby to learn to suck immediately. And so when a baby was born, they would have this paste that they would have on hand that they would rub on the gums of a child. And what would happen is, if you, as they rub this stuff on there, what happened is the baby would begin to go. And it would train the child to immediately learn how to do that sucking motion with their mouth. So that way they could latch on and that way they could feed off of mother and that way the baby could survive. Well, this is a colloquial term that gets into this phrase of train up a child. And what it does, it carries the idea that it has to get inside of them. That what happens is that so many parents are working on the outward appearance. Comb your hair, brush your teeth, don't do that, don't slouch. 
Come on, wear this, do this. And by the way, the outside is important, but they miss the heart. They don't get the training inside of them. And that the parents, what you're supposed to do is capture their heart for the Lord. And if you don't have their heart, you can not train them. Sure, you could work on the outside, but what's going to happen is that in the inside, they're going to be rotten. In the inside, they're not going to be close to the Lord. In the inside, they have no desire to follow the Lord, and they will depart. Our responsibility as a parent in order to raise the child for the Lord is that we have to get it in their heart. That takes the work. That's the responsibility we have is to get the word of God in them. The responsibility we have is to get them to have the heart to follow after God. And so when you understand this verse, that when you train up a child in the way that he should go, when you train up a child to capture their heart and have their heart towards the Lord, that when they are old, 16, 21, 30, 40, 50, they will not Depart from it. This is the responsibility we have as a parent. Because we are raising our children for the Lord. And we will stand before God and give an account of how well we train that child to follow after God. Now, their decisions they make is up to them. Our responsibility is how well did we train them? How well did we get them to have a heart for the Lord? That is the responsibility we have, is for them to have the heart for the Lord. So we start off by explaining the faith of a mother. That by faith, Jochebed trusted the Lord, did the hardest thing she ever had to do in her life, and commend the Lord. Moses to the Lord. Take her hands off and say, God, he's your responsibility. You tell me what to do. We see the responsibility of a mother. That the responsibility of the mother is that we're supposed to raise the child for someone else. That we have the responsibility of raising these children for the Lord. And we're going to give an account to the God who made them. And let us be stewards over them. But there's one more thing I'd like to show you because of this. The legacy of a mother, the legacy of the mother. The Bible gives a New Testament commentary on this relationship in the book of Hebrews. So turn with me, if you don't mind, into the New Testament, the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews and chapter number 11. And with this, we can see as the Bible correlates the faith of Jochebed to the actions of her son. So remember the, the scenario that we have. That God allowed Jochebed and gave her the responsibility of raising the child for the Lord. And she only had a limited time to do this in. There was a time limit. There was a time where she no longer was able to influence her child for the Lord. So she had to use that time wisely. Because of that wise investment of raising this child for the Lord, there became a legacy that the Bible ties in because of Jochebed's faith that Moses had actions that stemmed because of it. Now, if you don't mind, notice with me if you don't mind. 
in verse number 23. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So here we have the faith of Jochebed, which is going to lead us into the actions of Moses. Now in verses 24 through 27, what I would like you to do is I would like you to underline the verbs that are prominent here in these four verses. What we're going to see here is these verbs. Remember, a verb is a grammar thing that we find in the English language that shows action. Notice these four action verbs that Moses performed because of what his mother invested in him. Verse 23, his mother invested in Moses. Now we see the legacy of it. How did Moses respond because of his training? Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he came to years, notice his first verb, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So when it came time, because of the training of Jochebed, because of the faithfulness of a mother who got things into his heart to follow the Lord, when it came time for him to make a choice, he chose to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have had all the luxury. He could have been in line to be the Pharaoh of Egypt. But instead, he refused that in order to follow the Lord. Because she got this inside of Moses' heart, that when Moses had a choice, he refused to become next in line to become Pharaoh. Instead, Choosing to follow after the Lord. Notice with me in verse 25. Notice the verse, the first verb, choosing. Choosing. Verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So notice this. He made a choice. He had a choice between suffering affliction or the pleasures of sin for a season. He could have got away with living like a heathen. Living like an Egyptian. Living like part of the royal family. He could have got away with so much sin. But instead he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He said I'd rather be identified as one of God's people. Than be identified with a crowd that enjoys sin. He made a choice. I'd rather go with what God's people are going through. Than have a life of ease and sin. Notice this is because of Moses' mother. That she's influenced him. And now, even though she only had him for a few years, it made it so that way when he was an adult, he made a choice. He refused. He chose. Notice verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect for the recompense of the reward. So here, he had a choice. He esteemed, he chose, he valued the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So here, here was the choice. The treasures of Egypt or the reproach of Christ. Now the Bible uses this word Christ very purposely. Remember that Jesus did not begin 
in a manger. The account of Moses happens 1400 years before Jesus appeared in flesh on this world. But Jesus is God and from everlasting to everlasting he is God. So what we find here is that Moses had a personal relationship with Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. Now, we may know more about Christ doctrinally, but Moses knew Jesus in a personal manner. He knew the God of the Bible personally. And because of that, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. He says, you want to know what true riches is? Identifying with Jesus Christ. Choosing who Jesus Christ is. That is greater riches than all of the gold and treasures and statues and esteem that Egypt would have. You could stack up all those. The pyramids, the sphinxes, the monuments, the gold, the silver, the trade, the wealth, the power. You could stack it all up and I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather have Jesus. Oh, he esteemed. He said, I'd rather choose Jesus. Notice with me in verse 27. By faith, he forsook. Here's that last verb. He forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him that is invisible. Moses made a choice to forsake Egypt. He could have got away with it. He could have been with, with uh, Pharaoh and his kingdom. He could have had the wealth. He could have had the pleasure. He could have the life of ease. But instead, he chose not the king of Egypt, but he chose the invisible king, God. Seeing him who is invisible. That's who Moses chose. He chose the God who's invisible rather than the visible king who offered him riches. He'd rather have Jesus. Now all of this is stemmed and attached to the faith of Jochebed. That she only had him between five to seven years. And during that five to seven years, she did what she could to raise this child for the Lord. And after that, She allowed God to lead his path. She trusted him. But she her responsibility was to raise him for the Lord. And because of this there was a legacy. That her son chose to follow God. Her son chose to refuse to be called the the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches. By faith he forsook the king of Egypt. To see the one and to follow the one who was invisible. The invisible God. This is the legacy that a mother has. And this is what we are to do when we have our children. And to raise them for the Lord. Someone say, well, my children are grown. Yes, but you can invest 
into children. Maybe you have the privilege of teaching a Sunday school class. Let me tell you, the greatest thing you could do is to train those children to follow after God. Even if you're a nursery worker, to take that time not to babysit them, but to sing songs of faith, to sing Jesus loves me, to tell them Bible verses, to tell them that God loves them and that God has a plan for them. Maybe you're a grandparent and you have the great privilege of influencing those grandbabies for the Lord and pointing them up to God. All of us can invest in these children and to teach them to follow after God. One of the great examples of history of this was Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley had 19 children to care for. Imagine how busy that household was. Here's a mother with 19 children. We know two of them are giants in Christian history, Charles and John Wesley. Now what she did is she devoted at least an hour every week with every child. She would read to them and talk with them and pray with them. Every week she would spend at least an hour with them and just rotate and go through all 19 every week. One person said the Methodist church began at Susanna Wesley's knee when she rocked Charles in a cradle and held John in her lap while she patiently taught him to read. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. You know what's doubtful as we study history? That her sons would have undertaken the perilous journey across the ocean to the Georgia as missionaries. Remember at this time, Georgia was a brand new colony. And these people, John and Charles Wesley, came to be missionaries. To be missionaries to the Indians and to the colonists who settled there. If it had not been from their mother. Advising them. In fact, Susanna Wesley said this. Had I 20 sons, I would rejoice that they were so well employed, though I will, should never see them again. She said, the greatest thing for my own heart is if my children would follow the Lord. And even if they became missionaries and they never came back on furlough and they could not come back, I'd rather them be missionaries and follow God than be at home with me. My, what a wonderful testimony Susanna Wesley had is that she raised those children to follow God's will. You know, we wonder sometimes why people aren't being called to preach, why people aren't surrendering to the mission field. Part of it is because their parents aren't raising them to follow God. They're raising them to stay home. They keep those apron strings on tight. They're not raising them to release them. They're raising them just so that way they could just do nothing. So they could stay at home. So they could just survive. Mothers need to be training their children to follow after God. And when they do that, they develop such a legacy that will live on eternally. The greatest thing we could do is to raise their children for the Lord. Let me tell you, I'm a pastor of a New Testament church. And what a great privilege it is that God has allowed that. But the greatest thing that God has given me to do is not to pastor a church, but to raise my children to follow after God. What we have here. The faith of Jochebed as we saw. A faith of a mother. By faith she commended her child to God. Took her hands off God. And said God I'm giving you this child to raise. You tell me what to do. We see the responsibility of a mother. That a mother had the responsibility of raising a child. To follow after God. 
which led to a legacy of a mother that because of this, her son made a choice to follow after Jesus. Her son made a choice to obey him that is invisible, seeing him that was invisible rather than to follow after the riches that were before his eyes. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. How are you raising your children for the Lord? Maybe there's someone in here that says, you know, I don't even know the one that's invisible. Let me tell you that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, He's alive, He's real, and He's personable, and you can know Him. But maybe you're a parent in here and you're looking at your child and you say, you know what, my child doesn't have a heart for the Lord. Let me tell you that you could get on your knees and say, God, help me. Help me. And God will give you wisdom. He'll give you discernment. That what you do is you give that child to God. Say, God, you could do a better job raising that child than, than I can. You just tell me what to do and I'll be obedient to what God has given me. Maybe you're a grandparent. You look at those grandbabies. Pray. Give them to the Lord. And you say, God, tell me what to do. And I'll do it to raise those children for the Lord. To have a legacy of being in church, raised in church, being in Sunday school. Let me tell you that so many people miss that golden age. They let it go to waste and then they wonder why their kids fall apart. Let me tell you, if we could avoid our children going through the same mistakes that we have gone through, they would be better off. How do you do that? You don't do it by... Solving fleshly problems with your flesh. It's not a force of will. You're going to obey me. But it is the idea that you trust God. And then obey what he's given you to do. If you try to raise them in the flesh. You try to raise them with your own will. And your own intellect. The Bible gives the idea of reaping and sowing. That you are going to sow fleshly results. But when you obey the Lord. You're going to sow and then reap fleshly or spiritual results. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Is that the choice that you have? And is that the choice that you want your children to freely and purposefully make? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.